Garrett Wilson. Why'd One you, offensive rookie of the up. year. Why did you up. look at me and smile lead as you were saying his name? That wouldn't because it's not Brock Purdy. Eh, whatever. Brock Purdy finished third behind Ken Walker, a distant third, by the way. Wilson had 156 points in the voting. Walker 129. Purdy at 70. So not even close. Not even in the neighborhood. Right. Nah. Right. It was Walker or Wilson. Walker actually had more first place votes than Garrett Wilson, but Wilson. Uh, Here's what Brock Purdy did. He stole the award from Ken Walker. If Purdy never plays, Ken Walker wins Rookie of the Year because mm-hmm. Purdy got more first place yeah. votes. And be- then people came in and said, we got to put Purdy number two. Be better. Get this Ken Walker guy out of here. So <laughs> Brock Purdy does not win Rookie of the Year despite Danny's petition claiming, championing, championing. That's not how you pronounce that. Of Brock Purdy for the last two months. And I am finally right. I gave you a chance to take an early no, victory lap. You I didn't know. want it. I and now you get no victory lap at all. I don't celebrate early. It's fine. And now you don't get to celebrate at all. That's quite all right. Oh, uh, you know, I can't tell you that. The Lady Rebels beat Fresno State 64-63 yesterday. Alyssa Durazo Frescas hit a go-ahead three for UNLV with 12 seconds left. And then Fresno State did not get a shot off in the final seconds as UNLV poked the ball away, forced a loose ball, and there was no shot. UNLV wins. Dramatic game in the end, but Fresno State entered that game 1-11 in the Mountain West and 246 in net. I did not know they were that bad. Terrible. I did not know they were that bad. Yeah. And so Lady Rebels are 23-2. They're 13-0 still. Perfect record in the Mountain West is still there, but that is not a good win. That is what, if we have a if we have moral victories, that would be a moral defeat. Yeah. Even though they got the win, don't feel good about it. And it doesn't even help your metrics either to win that close of a game against Frescas. I believe Frescas is from the alma mater. Is she? Yeah. She, uh, the stat from yesterday, part of the reason this was a close game, Lady Rebels only hit two threes in the game. They could not hit a three in the game. Yeah. And she hit both of them, including the The game-winning shot with 12 seconds to go. But, uh, yeah, she's uh, one of their more important players because she's hits threes. Yeah. Last night was the only one that could actually do it. Daddy had a breakaway. Texas and Oklahoma are leaving the Big 12 after the 2023 season. They will join the SEC for the 2024 football season. And because they are leaving early, Texas and Oklahoma will combine to pay the Big 12 $100 million dollars if that gets divided up amongst the eight leftover teams so not including the four incoming teams like but the, the BYUs of the world right but the eight leftover teams if they get all of that that'd be 12 and a half million per school right. I mean if they're gonna leave they might as well leave and you get 12 and a half million dollars right. get a little bit extra yeah. out of it so the SEC starting in 2024 we will get Texas and Oklahoma taking on LSU Alabama, Alabama. Florida Georgia um be a fun conference. The The interesting part on this is the SEC has been against going to nine conference games. They're like, oh, our, we're good enough that our eight conference games are more difficult than your nine conference games. But now I've seen some quotes from Greg Sankey, the um, commissioner, and I think I forget. There was a coach who said it too, but they're going to have to talk about going to nine conference games just because there's going to be so many teams. There's going to be two more teams. They're going to have to have a new scheduling set up, basically, and going to nine conference games is going to make more sense for playing everybody, but they'll still probably fight it and say, no, no, we need our FCS school in November. You can't take that away from us. I uh, 
What was the question again? I'm sorry, I just got this. <laughs> a lot happened on the NBA trade deadline. There was a trade every like six seconds. Every six seconds, on, on, I'm listening to the radio. It's like, well, this guy got traded. This guy got traded. I, I couldn't keep up. But the absolute funniest one was that the Rockets traded for John Wall. The Clippers got Eric Gordon in this deal. The Grizzlies got Luke Kennard as a three-team deal. But John Wall got traded to the Rockets. Last month, John Wall said his time in Houston was trash and said it's just a bad organization right now. Absolutely phenomenal that the Rockets then said, yeah, we'll trade for that guy. They're going to buy him out, so he's not going to play a game for the Houston Rockets again. But I love that he got traded back to the Houston Rockets, even if he hey, just ends up getting bought Why out. do the Clippers want Westbrook? Well, they got Eric Gordon and Bones Highland yesterday, so I don't think they're getting Westbrook now. Okay. Like uh, they Once they got those two. I read three or four different places that they, if he could get out of the Utah, whether it was a buyout or whatever, however he gets out of there, that they wanted Russell Westbrook. I They've wanted, apparently, a backup point guard, and they went and got two yesterday. So I'm guessing they're not going to be interested in Westbrook once he gets bought out by okay. the Utah Jets. Silence. <laughs> the Blues traded Vladimir Tarasenko to the Rangers. Rangers gave up a first-round pick, a fourth-round pick, plus two players, Sammy Blaze, who has zero goals in 40 games this year, and a, the prospect they gave up was Hunter Skinner. The Blues are also retaining 50% of Tarasenko's salary the rest of the year. He's making $7.5 million this season. That is a big name off the board that the Golden Knights could have traded for in Vladimir Tarasenko. So now they're Kirk, going for Patrick Kane? Kirk's going for it. Yeah, we'll see yeah. if the Rangers are any good. Yeah, they're good. Uh, they're getting it for sure. Yeah, but uh, Tarasenko's on the move, and trade deadline in the NHL is still a little ways away. It's in March. Yeah, early March. So we don't have... It's not like it's pressing or anything like that. Golden Knights still have time here, but that is one of the bigger names that was possibly going to be moved. So Golden Knights can't get Tarasenko. He's off to uh, play with the Rangers. Those are great. That's that's another great question. The Vikings hired Brian Flores as their defensive coordinator. The best part of Brian Flores getting hired is he's now been a part of two different teams and. He's still got the active lawsuit against the NFL and the Dolphins. Brian Flores is suing the NFL and two different teams. The Steelers and now the Vikings have decided to hire him. But he is defensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, inherits a situation where they should probably yeah, be going to the playoffs. Should. Yeah. I assume. That was where they stunk. Right. Well, that'd be helpful if they could uh, actually stop somebody on defense uh, in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty detailed question. Uh This is one of the best contract renegotiations I think I've ever seen. Iowa's offensive coordinator restructured his contract. His base salary was $900,000. Now it's $800,000. He can make $100,000 in bonuses if he meets some incentives, which includes Iowa averaging 25 points per game. Last year, Iowa averaged (laughs) 17.7, which was 123rd in the country. But the funny part here is that 25 points per game would only be the 85th highest scoring offense in college football. Yeah, but 
Even there at 17, I mean, this is a huge uh, this is a huge upgrade for those guys. If this guy averages 25 points a game, they'll probably win more games. They were they were good. They had a lot of six three games. <laughs> I, it's 25 points though. No, In I know. Like, well, it's Iowa. It's Iowa. <laughs> but they the thing is, is that Iowa has had good. Off, not good, but they've had better offenses in the past, like recent past, like 2018, 19, 20. They had offenses that scored near 30 points a game, and they were so bad last year that Look. they're like, all right, if you can get us in the top 80 in the country, you get a $100,000 bonus. He's making 800000 <laughs> No one's crying for him. You know the guy was getting to 900000 do I think he's I mean, going to get to nine hundred? Yeah, they, they can get to twenty-five points a game, right? If someone's giving me a hundred grand, I'm working overtime. So here's the part that I I wasn't sure about, but the way it was worded in the story, which may not be how it's worded exactly in the contract, I don't know if the twenty-five points per game means only offensive points. Like if the defense scores, that counts towards your team points per game. That's a great question. So I and they would, have a defense that can score, by the way. I would love if he hits it because Iowa like sets the record for most defensive touchdowns right. in a season, and he would and like the offense averages like twenty one points per game, but the defense comes through with an extra like five points per game for just <laughs> and, being and he so says, ridiculously hey, I get good. The, I get the incentive. That's right. Or like there's a kickoff return for a touchdown or something like that. But that's what I'm hoping happens to Iowa here because this is a great, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, incentive to put in your offense. Instead of just firing for having bad offense, yeah, we'll pay if you're a top 80. <laughs> you sense any give up in the locker room? Hell no. Phil. What kind of questions that, Phil? Eric Bieniemy is a candidate for the offensive coordinator jobs with Baltimore and Washington. Is this weird? Why? Boy, and it's not because, you know, he's, he hasn't gotten a head coaching job, but he's right. interviewed for 100 of them. There was a game or two this year where I know Mahomes got into it with them, but that's competitiveness i think that probably happens on every every day every game uh with other people but i don't this is weird uh you're gonna leave pat mahomes apparently seems like a strange thing to do all right joining us now live from radio row is mark slareth good morning mark can you hear us yes i got you loud and clear good morning how are you this morning mark oh man if i was any better i'd be twins kidding me (laughs) things are great (laughs) all right so let me ask you this to start with the Super Bowl because we've been having this conversation all morning. It, on Monday, after the game, is it as simple as the Chiefs win the Super Bowl because Patrick Mahomes is incredible and the Eagles win it if Patrick Mahomes is, like, just okay? Um, yeah, I, I, I would say that, for me, there would be a little bit more to it than that. I mean, if the Chiefs are going to win it, Patrick Mahomes has to be incredible. But if, like, to me, if the eagles win this thing it's just because they eat time of possession they possess the ball for 40 minutes you can't get them off the field they're running it down your throat they're playing the perimeter game with their pin and pull game their quarterback rpo game they're running the ball with their quarterback like you just can't get off the football field so it's not necessarily that, that patrick mahomes doesn't play great he just doesn't have as many opportunities we always talk about shrinking the game you know, taking that 12-possession game and making a 7- or 8-possession game. And if you can do that, Patrick Mahomes can still be great, but you could still lose a close one. Will Spagnuolo allow that, or will he just dare them to throw? Um, listen, man, if I was playing them, if I was playing them, I'd dare them 
just dare them to throw the football. But the problem is, is they got A.J. Brown and they got Devontae Smith and they got Dallas Goddard. And, um, and you know, I mean, then you have to hold up one-on-one. They, they're just so – they are the most talented football team, I think, in this game. But they're the most talented offensive line that I have seen in – in a long time just athletically power and athleticism i always say you're either big or strong or fast and athletic they're big strong fast and athletic they're amazing mark schlereth with us you can hear him uh covering the nfl on fox so one of my favorite stories of the week has been how much attention has been paid to offensive tackles moving just before the ball is snapped we saw joey bosa very upset about the jags doing it in the first round of the playoffs Lane Johnson's gotten a lot of attention for Philadelphia leading into this week. Is that, has that been made into a bigger story than it actually is? Offensive linemen moving a split second before the ball's actually snapped? Well, we all, like, that's, that's the game. The, the only advantage, come on, like, you know, I say this all the time. Like, I've seen, I've seen corners transition to safety, safety transition to linebacker, linebacker transition to DN, DN transition to D-tackle, D-tackle transition to offensive linemen. Offensive lineman, you know what your transition is? O-line fan. <laughs> like, you're the worst athlete on the football field, bar none. It's not close. So the only advantage you truly have is snap count. So we never go on the snap count, ever. And find me an offensive lineman that goes on the snap count, I'll find you a guy that can't play. We always, if it's on two, we're going on one. One and a quarter. But we all go at the same time. And so, yeah, you, you're always jumping the snap count. 100% of the time you jump the snap count. It's just a game. So it doesn't – it's one of those things that doesn't get called. And you take advantage of it. So, you know, D linemen that don't like it, that, that to me they're whiners. Like, like quit, it's like guys that complain about getting held. Well, stop getting held, dumbass. Like, right? That's your fault. If you, you give me your chest plate, you get like – I've always said that the shoulder pad, chest plate and the shoulder pad, God created that so I could hold you. Like, that's, that's, <laughs> so if you're going to give that to me, dude, I will undress you. Like, I, like don't complain about it. You're going to get held. Um, and, and you got you to gotta not let me get to that point. Because if you, you let me get to that point, you're finished. And, and, like, so don't, like, my thing is don't complain, figure it out. So do you have any idea why it's become more focused on now? Like, why do we see it more? Why is it a bigger deal now? Has it been, have offensive linemen been moving earlier than before? Or why is it all of a sudden now we're seeing this and paying more attention to it? Um, I think that some of the athletes that you have playing outside of tackle, like Lane Johnson, are, are so gifted. They're, they're just a, there's a different, there's a different element to it. So, um, incredibly gifted guys. So I think that's one of the reasons that it just is more prominent or you can see it easier now than, uh, than uh, you've seen it in the past. Mark Slareth with us here. So um, do you have a pick as to who wins this game? Because I think the Eagles win, but I do not feel good about that at all. You could sway me one way or the other. Um, yeah, well, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Bronco. Um, so, you know, I hate the rest of the AFC West. Uh, so, yeah, I've got the <laughs> Philadelphia Eagles 100, the Kansas City Chiefs nothing. Uh, Mark, we, we've asked other uh, guests this, this week about Derek Carr. Is he a good fit in New Orleans? I think he'd be a great fit in New Orleans. I, I think Derek Carr is a really underrated, undervalued quarterback. So um, I, I'm, I'm a fan. Um, you guys got a couple guys on your roster that I'm a big fan of. Max Crosby, obviously huge fan of Max and, and the way he rolls. But I've always been a fan of Derek. So, uh, yeah, I think he'd be a great fit in New Orleans. 
Mark Schlereth with us. So you're joining us thanks to uh, Stunt, a new social media platform. Can you tell us about Stunt? Yeah, Stunt is, I mean, it's awesome. So it's a, a a social media platform created just for sports fans. So it's just for sports. And it's like putting Twitter, Instagram, YouTube channel, all those things for content creators in one platform, in one spot. So all your feeds right there in one place. Um, and I tell you, you know, for all these content creators, you know, people who, who get, you know, I call a game and I get it on Twitter. You suck. You're awful. I hate your guts. You know, on a radio show, all this, that, and the other. I could be better than you. Okay, well, then put your money where your mouth is. Create a platform and start doing your own show. Create. You know, go out there and create, and there's a paywall so you can get paid. It's kind of like a fans-only thing, only you don't have to show your Yahoo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, you just create content and, and it, it's just a cool platform where it's all your sports content in one place. So that's, uh, that's, it's called the stunt. You can find it in the app store, the stunt, or, uh, check it out at the stunt.com. Well, he is Mark Schlereth joining us on behalf of stunt. Mark, we appreciate your time. Enjoy radio row and the rest of the lead up to the Super Bowl. Thanks, Mark. You got it guys. Take care. So there is Mark Schlereth. That interview from Radio Row in Arizona was brought to you by Subaru of Las Vegas on Rainbow and the 215. Mark Slareth, live from Radio Row. Coming up next, we'll get into some Golden Knights. Now it's a two-on-one for the Knights. Eichel is in. He scores! And Flurry smashes his stick on the post. Jack Eichel now snaps the skin. 5-1 Golden Knights with 6.47 to go in the second period. Minnesota comes in, Thompson a save, loose puck and throw, shooting, blocked! Theodore got a stick in, right back through the crease. Thompson is down, and the whistle stops play. Thompson may be injured. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter, at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Sunday at noon right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Make sure you tune in to hear Willie Ramirez live from the Westgate or go out and see the Westgate. He's got uh, Rod Woodson on the show. Plus, he's going to have Super Bowl picks from guys like Devontae Adams, Jonathan Marshall, and Brian Reeves. That is 10 to 12 Sunday from the Westgate with Willie Ramirez. Golden Knights got a win last night in Minnesota. They cannot lose if the fathers of the players go on the I trip mean, with them. Would you just not have those guys there the whole time? <laughs> Do any uh, of them have jobs because Bill Foley's about to buy them out of yes, their jobs? Yes, exactly, and just pay them to come to games. <laughs> so they won, but here's the problem for the Golden Knights. Despite a dominant game, they've won back-to-back games 5-1. to one. Logan Thompson left with an injury last night. And he had to be helped off the ice. He was not putting any weight on his left leg. Maybe a groin, maybe a hamstring, maybe a hip, something in that left leg. He hurt Bruce Cassidy after the game did not have a real update. He said they'd have more information in the morning. Not that they'll share that with anybody, but they'll at least have more information in the morning. Cassidy did say he saw Thompson walking around. Right. So maybe that's good news. He's going to have an MRI. Sounds positive, but also could mean nothing. So, no, I mean, you could be really hurt and still walking around. Right. So, obviously, best case scenario is Logan Thompson misses very limited amount of time, and Logan Thompson is back uh, soon, right, within the month or something like that. And this is maybe a short-term injury, and the Golden Knights just have to weather a few games without him. But worst case scenario is Logan Thompson is out for a lengthy period of time. Worst case scenario, Logan Thompson's done for the year. If it's the year, or even if it's just a month or two, which would cover about the rest of the regular season. 
How much trouble are I they think, in if it's Aiden Hill and Laurent Brossois? I think they're in a little bit of trouble. I think they better keep scoring five a game. <laughs> That'd be helpful. They do that. They're in no then, trouble yeah, at exactly. all. Exactly. If they keep scoring five, they'll be fine. Aiden Hill this year, uh, 908 save percentage, his goal saved above average is one po- plus 1.07. So he's been slightly of an above average goalie in the NHL. Laurent Brossois has played 23 games with the Silver Knights. 909 save percentage. We don't have goals saved above average, or at least I don't have them for the AHL, though I will say, given how bad the Silver Knights were at the start of the year, a 909 save percentage sounds really good for Laurent Brossois. Those are two goalies that have NHL, you know, they've played in the NHL. They've got some NHL experience. They need to go a month with those two. I think they're in good shape. If they've got to go the rest of the season, if they've got to go into the playoffs with those two, that's where it becomes really hard because you're going to have to have some really good goaltending performances to win playoff series. And I don't know that you're confident in those two doing that. Do you think the Golden Knights would look for a goalie at the deadline if Thompson's out for a while? I think they would. I think they would. They've got the potential $9 million in cap space with Mark Stone going on long-term IR. Thompson going on long-term IR actually wouldn't help them very much because he only makes like $700,000. But that's going to be an interesting sort of wrinkle in the trade deadline is how aggressive are they going after goalies? And it comes down to when do they think they're getting Logan Thompson back? So Golden Knights win again. They are unbelievable since the All-Star break, but another injury concern. All right. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, Brian Dutcher, head coach of San Diego State, joins the show. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Coming up on Saturday, it's a 1 o'clock start. UNLV is on the road at San Diego State. You can hear that right here on ESPN Las Vegas. And joining us now is the head coach of San Diego State, Brian Dutcher. Good morning, Brian. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, have you had to practice this week on your guys leaving the bench during a timeout? I'm telling you, that was a, <laughs> that was tough because the timeout was right in front of our bench. So we have guys coming out to, uh, you know, bring the team to the huddle, and we had a little altercation and obviously uh, had a player ejected. And it was an emotionally charged game in a great environment, but I, overall I thought the, the officials did a really good job. Do you so Darian Trammell gets ejected? He's coming out on the court during a timeout. Is there anything you tell him like that he did wrong in that scenario? Like, is that even a coaching moment, or is that just bad luck, bad timing overall? You know, I don't know. At the time, all I was concerned was was really as they were huddling in front of the monitor for seemed like forever to try to get it right. I just was trying to tell the team, no matter what comes out of this, we have to stay focused on the task at hand because we have no control over what's going to happen. And then Darian got ejected, and I thought the guys responded well, uh, minus our point guard, to find a way to win in a really hard environment. Brian, when uh, you guys are going well this year and the few times you're not, what, what's working? When you're, doing, when you're going well, what do people see? An improved offense from over the last year and then uh, getting back to a, a more solid defensive effort for 40 minutes. We played good defense all year, but we, we – we've had a tough time putting 40 minutes of defense together. And I think we're getting closer to doing that. If you uh, could maybe help us out with a question about UNLV, because they started the year defensively. They were phenomenal. Looked like they were hey, going to have one of the best defenses in the mountain West. They get in the conference play and the defense fell off quite a bit. And they've made some adjustments. They've stopped switching the screens with their centers on every play. 
is it as simple as Mountain West teams are better prepared for conference opponents and there's more scouting on conference opponents? Like, why is it that UNLV's defense could have gone from so good to falling off so quickly once they got into conference play? It's just, you know, this is a really hard conference. It's really good teams. And so everybody watches every game. And so if you find something that someone has success with, you try to duplicate that. So you try to take advantage of whatever they're doing. And I think uh, uh, their ability to switch up now to not play everything the same way, much like we do, we don't play everything the same way. We're not saying that this is what we do, good luck. You know, we'll switch ball screens, we'll hedge ball screens, we'll drop on ball screens, we'll switch up based on the opponent. And I think uh, uh, UNLV has obviously won four out of five. They're getting back in a better rhythm at both ends of the floor and are very dangerous. Talk about Matt Bradley this year. Maybe started slow, uh, then came on. Uh, he was going to be your leader coming into the season. How has he gone uh, in le- lately? I mean, obviously he started the Utah, uh, uh, the Utah State game 7-for-7 seven seven from the field and really did a good job creating shots where we couldn't find a shot. So uh, Matt is the thing I like about Matt is he doesn't go out there hunting his shot. He lets the game come to him, but there are times in the game where he has to hunt his shot, and he seems to sense those times. You know, he's not afraid to defer to his teammates. And our greatest strength this year maybe has been our bench. We're deep, and we play a lot of people. For, when you're playing UNLV, they've got E.J. Harkless, who gets to the free throw line all the time. I think he's over 10 attempts per game in the last five. When you're coaching your team, when you're scouting UNLV, what exactly do you say to say, hey, we can't foul somebody who's really good at drawing that contact and getting those foul calls? That's a skill. I mean, he's skilled at drawing contact. And has been his whole career. And so we have to do the best we can to try to keep a body in front of a body, give help where we think it's uh, where we can, and try to you know keep a body and a half on him. But he's a very good player, very talented, averaging 18 a game, and will be a tough guard for us tomorrow. We hear it every year, Brian. They're going to get four in. They're going to get three in. How you know It's going to be multiple bid league, which it usually is. Is this league, compare this league to recent years, and when you hear those kind of numbers, do you think that's reality? I'm hoping it is. I mean, uh, obviously there are a lot of good teams in the league, but the, the, the four on the very top with, you know, only a game separating most of us, you know, uh, uh, seem like they have a good chance. New Mexico fighting there uh, for that spot because of what they've done overall. And then you've got teams like Fresno and UNLV that are playing really good basketball right now that probably won't have a chance to get in at large, but are more than capable of winning the conference tournament. So, this is going to be a, a, a tremendous last uh, uh, six or seven games of the season for most of us. When we get to this point in the season and it's, say, there's five teams that have a shot to get in, do you look around and, and like have some disappointment with some of the non-conference schedules that some of the teams in the Mountain West played, especially a team like UNLV or New Mexico who can conceivably schedule harder opponents than most other teams in the Mountain West? I think you schedule to what you think you're going to have coming back and uh, what success you've had. You know, if you think you're going to be really good, you're going to try to schedule up. If you think you've got a young team that's going to take a while to hit its stride, then you may want games under your belt that, that aren't against elite competition. So there's lots of different ways to, to doing this, and it all depends on what you have coming back, what you know about your team, and, and what you think you're going to be early in the season. What's been the key, whether it's leadership, uh, certain kids stepping up to your guys, at least right now, living up to expectations because you're picked number one usually every year, but is there something different about this team? Just veterans. You know, six-year guy in Seiko, fifth-year guys in Mensa, Rope, 
Bradley, you know, fourth-year guys in Ladee and, and, and Keyshawn Johnson, just a lot of veteran players that have been through it. And uh, obviously we have a deep team, so we have a lot of uh, uh, experience out there, and we have a lot of depth, and usually that uh, leads to success. You guys use your bench more than I think anybody else in the Mountain West. Do you see, is there a tangible effect? Like, do you see that later in the year that guys that had, you know, you haven't been playing or maxing guys out with 37, 38 minutes a game. Do you start to see that at this point of year? Or is it just something that you kind of hope picks up at, uh, at late in the year? You're hoping, you're hoping it picks up. You're hoping that your ability to play a lot of guys, you have fresh legs down the stretch. But some of these guys that are used to playing 32, 34, 36 minutes a game, their body's conditioned to do that. And so uh, the thing, if you don't play as many guys, if you get an injury, you get in foul trouble, maybe it's harder. You know, we, we seem to get great production off the bench most games, and sometimes they're uh, better than the starters, and that's been a good formula for us this year. Uh, have you ever gotten a technical where you didn't know you got it? No. No, usually I, I try to earn them. So I don't know. I guess I got a technical the last game. I wasn't aware of it until someone told me. But, hey, there are a lot of technicals given out in that stretch. So I guess, you know, if they gave me one, I must have deserved it. Wait, how, how long between getting the technical and you finding out? How much time was in between there? The next day. Oh, <laughs> not even during the game? Okay. No, 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 no. So, uh, I don't know. Weird. It was a hard game, you know. Like I said, it was basically it was for first place. They were a game back in a full house in a great environment, and the rest did their best to try to maintain control of the game. I thought they did a good job of it. We talked about how many are going to get in, but talk about also the importance of winning when you get there. Uh, the Mountain West hasn't had great success in that realm, and it seems like it's the next step some of these teams have to take. Yeah, we have to get there. We have to have success, you know, and that's what that's what we're trying to do. You know, my three years uh, uh, that I've gone, obviously the 30-2 and two team didn't get a chance to go. We've lost two one-possession games, uh, and then we've gotten blown out by Syracuse. So we haven't gotten over the hump when we've got there. I haven't gotten over the hump with the team. But uh, uh, it's not easy to do, and, and you have to find a way. If you can get the first one, then find a way to get the second. But we have to get the first one under my leadership. Coach Fisher, obviously – won games and did a great job. And I have to make that next step uh, with my uh, coaching and with my team. Brian Dutcher with us, head coach of San Diego State. All right, on Sunday, are you planning practice or meetings around the Super Bowl? Are you avoiding that three- or four-hour time slot? You know what? I don't even know right now. They tell me when we're practicing. So I'm not sure when our next game is after Vegas. I'm so singularly focused on the next one. I'm not sure if we're taking Sunday off or if, if it's a practice day, to be honest with you. Are you going to be cheering for either the Eagles or the uh, uh, Chiefs to win the Super Bowl? I, you know, I don't have a, a cheering interest, although I like Mahomes. I like uh, uh, him as a player. He's fun to watch. So maybe I'm more uh, a Kansas City Chiefs fan than an Eagles fan. A friend, of, a friend of ours said I should congratulate you on becoming a grandfather. Yeah, how about that? How about that? The world keeps moving along <laughs> uh, with, without basketball sometimes. And, <laughs> No, I'm a proud grandfather of a young granddaughter and, and just super excited about it. That that happened in season? Yeah, it happened two weeks ago. Oh, how much how much time have you actually gotten to get away from basketball to uh to actually be a grandfather so far? 
Well, enough where I'm not having to change diapers, but I'm getting to enjoy my grandchild. <laughs> Perfect timing, then. Um, he is Brian Dutcher, head coach of San Diego State. Again, UNLV is at San Diego State, 1 o'clock on Saturday. You can hear it right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Brian, we appreciate Thanks, your Brian, time. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So there is Brian Dutcher, head coach of the San Diego State Aztecs. That's actually, we focus so much on you know, getting into the NCAA tournament. And a large part is because UNLV hasn't been and we're getting on a decade here. But you are right. Like, even if the Mountain West gets five teams in this year, if they're all seeded like 7 to 12 and they all go home on the first day, yeah. like, we're going to look back and say, oh, well, they got five in, but, geez, they I went 0-5. I don't know if Danny thinks so, but literally in the last year, seriously, uh, the bracket comes out and people just go parlay all the Mountain West teams to lose. <laughs> Danny, I, Danny is pumped. He, he's isn't that right? About last mean, yeah. last year you could, uh, and I actually did it. I took the under. You could take over under right. on how many wins in the entire tournament the conference gets. certain conferences will yeah. get. And last year I think Mountain West was two and a half, and they yeah. all lost in the first yeah. round. What did they have? Was San Diego State was a higher seed? I Boise think they was were, in the eight nine. I think San Diego State was a five last year and then Boise was, was that in the high eight. Boise they played was, great yeah Boise was the eight nine against Memphis if I remember correctly and yes. then everybody else was a double yeah. digit seed yeah. I think so it was really San Diego State potentially going to the sweet 16 right. and Boise State and Boise potentially winning, winning a game. one right was what you would have needed there or obviously an upset because it's the NCAA tournament and that happens but they're, they'll win one this year. I got confidence. The Mountain West is not going O for this year. I'll see what the line's at. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, if they get five in, I'll take the over two and a half. Even Ooh. even if they're all, like, if San Diego State's going to be a six or a seven, maybe they lose and they fall to the eight nine line. But if they're like a seven, ah, that's tough because that's seven ten matchup, right? Because it's not yeah. really you're not truly a favorite. No, like, right. no, that's tough. They could they could go zero and five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they'll get five in. Yeah, it's probably going to be four. Utah State doesn't have a quad one win. That's right. It's probably going to be four and maybe three. And maybe three. Day, Might be depending three. Depending on how the resumes actually yeah. stack up. All right. We got tickets to give away to go see Jimmy Buffett. He's coming to Las Vegas, the MGM Grand Garden. Two nights in March, and we've got a pair of tickets for you right now. 702-364-1100. That's the phone number. Be caller 9 at 702 702- Three six four eleven hundred. You'll want a pair of tickets to go see Jimmy Buffett. Super excited. I, mean, I was asked this question, I think, a couple, two, three years ago about uh, someone I always wanted to play with. He was the first name. Obviously, you know, I've been knowing Bron since I was a baby, but uh, rookie in this league. So obviously, I want to play with him. But uh, just a, a player with that, you know, competitive spirit, that fire, that uh, that will, that dog, you know, that that nastiness, that grit. You know, to have a running mate like that, I've never had that. So I'm, I'm super excited. I'm super excited to see where it goes. Obviously, like any relationship or any marriage, you know, things, you know, we got tough conversations. I mean, that's, that's that's what comes with winning. But I'm excited about those conversations. I'm excited about the practices. And I'm, I'm just excited to be able to compete with someone like that. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Who is Patrick Beverly talking about? That was former Laker Beverly talking about former Laker Westbrook. All right. Uh, neither one. They both got traded. Lakers traded Pat Beverly to the Magic. They got Mobamba in return. Uh, Russell Westbrook got traded to the Utah Jazz in a three-team trade. 
uh, between the Lakers, the Wolves, and the Jazz. Uh, the Jazz got a first-round pick out of it, and Westbrook, they're expected to buy him out. The Wolves got Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and four second-round picks. Lakers got D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, and Malik Beasley. Well, they got rid of Westbrook. So here's, a here's, big key. here's the question for you. Westbrook is a free agent after this season. So if the Lakers had wrote it out, didn't make any moves, Westbrook's gone, they would have had more space to go sign players in the offseason to build around LeBron and Anthony Davis. Instead, they traded a first-round pick and got some players now to put around LeBron and Anthony Davis. Was that the right approach? Going in, basically taking it and saying, we'll give up a first-round pick because we're trying to win something right now versus letting this season pass and saying, all right, let's do as best as we can in the offseason to win next I year. I think it was a LeBron approach because I think once <laughs> they didn't get Kyrie and he spoke out and he said, maybe it's me, that Palinka felt that they needed to do something. I think LeBron wanted them to do something at the deadline because he feels that with any extra pieces or the right pieces, they can get something done. I don't believe that. I don't think you believe that. But I think LeBron wanted them to do something, and they, you know, they adhered to his wishes. Here's the thing. The, I think the Lakers actually did a good job at the trade deadline. I think their their new potential starting lineup is, you know, you have D'Angelo Russell, LeBron, Anthony Davis, but you're also probably starting Malik Beasley and then Rui Hachimura, who they got before the deadline from Washington. That's a better team. That's a better lineup than what the Lakers have had at pretty much any time this season. They improved, but the problem is, they're not even in a play-in game right at now. the moment. Right. And yes, it's bunched up in the West. Conceivably, the Lakers could go on a great run, and they could even get into the top six where you don't even well, go don't to the play-in. don't have to play do in. the play-in game. But that still seems so unlikely. That still seems so... They, they have to pass so many teams to get there. That they got to win eight, nine straight. Right. Even if it's only a three-game gap or whatever. Right. You've got to go on a run, and you've got to pass six or seven teams to get there. So you've got to go on a run, and six and seven other teams have to kind of be bad for a little bit for you to get into the top six. Otherwise, you're in the play-in, and if you're in the play-in, you're in a couple of one-game scenarios, and even if you get through that, you're playing the one of the two seed right. in the West. It just, I don't think they had a bad trade deadline in terms of what they acquired and getting better. It just feels like it's not actually worth it. It's not actually worth doing what they did because it's not going to lead to anything, even though, I again, I think they did a and good job getting better. probably not the message you send to LeBron. That we're waiting for next season? Yeah. When he's 38 we, or whatever he we is? We know we're not going to be good. We're not going to do anything right now. <laughs> I really think when he tweeted that, and that was, I think, more about Kyrie. Maybe it's me, more about Kyrie, but uh, not getting him. But he wanted them to do something, so they went out and got Russell. And, you know, I don't know if it placated him that much. I don't know, you know, if he thought that was enough. But I do think he was pretty open that he wanted them to do something. He thought they could get better. So Palinka probably said, "Uh oh, LeBron wants something. We better go do something. Did you see the story about Westbrook and Lakers coach Darvin Ham yelling yeah, getting at each other? into it? Yeah. So this is on Tuesday night. Remember... LeBron James was closing in on the all-time scoring record, something they stopped the game for for nine minutes. And apparently at halftime, Darvin Ham, uh, this is how Adrian Wojnarowski wrote it, 
expressed frustration with how Westbrook lingered on the playing floor after getting subbed out of the game late in the second quarter. Voices were raised in the locker room, but discussion turned back to trying to win the game against the Thunder, sources said. <laughs> and then they trade him. I, I, okay. I love so much that LeBron is very clearly in pursuit of breaking the scoring record that night was very obvious by halftime. They're playing the Thunder, who are right above them in the standings. If the Lakers are going to make it to the playoffs, they've got to get ahead of the the Thunder. thunder. And at halftime, the coach and Westbrook are arguing over how quickly Westbrook (laughs) got off the floor. (laughs) Of all nights to be worried about that, it was probably not Tuesday night. night. And then they traded Russell Westbrook Then they traded him the next day. Didn't play another game for him. Uh, Phenomenal. Uh, There was a report that they dapped each other up after the game before leaving. So they made amends. Apparently well, ham probably thought, see you later, buddy. <laughs> hey, I just got, the I call. just got, You're I got traded. the call. We're trading your, your butt anyway. So <laughs> I'll dap you up. Have fun getting bought out and joining another team, yeah. which we'll see. You asked me earlier in the show about the Clippers. the Clippers. They got a point guard. So I'm guessing they don't want Westbrook now, but if you're a contender, do you, you want, want him? him? I mean, if you could convince him, Hey, come off the bench for 12 minutes. I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. I don't think I want him that badly either.